This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Yeah, I think the last two games were, were definitely a step in the right direction. It was a little helter-skelter there for, for those three games. And anytime you lose three in a row, and there's no panic in this group, but it's a wake-up call for sure. I just thought the last couple games, especially tonight, after you know, the first period, getting out of the penalty trouble there, I thought we, for the most part, had a good possession of, of, of the game. And you saw in that third period going up, the goal, first first shift, pointers line goes out there, gets us an insurance one, and we didn't really give up much. So it was a much better effort. It was a much better effort. I think it helped that Seattle was the opponent. Nonetheless, you can't choose who's on the schedule. you got to play who's there. And the Lightning did what I think they needed to do against the Kraken. 4-1 to last night. They end that six-game road trip, 3-3. Three and three. They come home briefly to take on the Rangers on Saturday. And then back on the road. We'll talk more about that as well. But a big night for Steven Stamkos. Played in his 900th career game had three points john cooper mixing and matching some of the lines we'll get into that and also the trade deadline picking up well i should say before the trade deadline and we'll get into some of the moves that were made yesterday felt like there were a flurry of them right before the lightning played but it is power launch on lightning power play hit us up on twitter at bolts radio i am greg Linelli, along with the radio voice of the lightning dave michigan steve ersnick is our producer one hour of hockey talk for you and you know, Dave, it wasn't the start the Lightning wanted. Yanni Gord, of all players, is able to get a power play goal, and the Lightning taking some penalties and having to kill off some power plays, not ideal on the road, uh, regardless of who they are playing. But they came through that, for the most part, pretty good, and uh, star power really came through with Hetty getting a couple, Cooch getting a goal, Stammer with three assists, and I thought Vassy was pretty solid. It it was a game, I think, when you take a look at the rosters, the Lightning should win that game, but as you know and as I know, sometimes that always doesn't happen, and those can be kind of uh, difficult games to play in, but I thought the Lightning, for the most part, did what they wanted to do after, you could almost say, that first period. Yeah, Seattle has some impressive wins this year. I mean, they did beat Florida twice. They beat Carolina at home, Seattle's home. They beat Washington at home. That was right before they came to the the Lightning in November. I think they had home wins over Washington and Carolina in their previous two games at home before they visited the Lightning. So, yeah, I mean, you have to be ready, and any team can beat you on any given night in the NHL. And as Brian Engblom likes to say, it's not like, you know, uh, an expansion team or, or a weak team is going to go 0-82. I mean, they are capable of winning some games. But on the Lightning side, there was a lot to like last night. It was not flawless. And maybe we should start with the areas that had some flaws. Uh, the players talked about this, and, and Coop talked about it post-game. The penalties were were a downside last night. They took four penalties in the first period. And not only were the number of penalties not to John Cooper's liking, the type of penalties they took were not to John Cooper's liking. Two of them were pretty far from the Lightning's defensive zone. Palat's penalty was in the offensive zone. Kalorn's penalty with the Lightning and the power play was basically just outside the offensive blue line when the puck was down at the other end. And it got them into some early trouble in terms of the start of the game because they took the two penalties that that overlapped by seven or eight seconds and Yanni Gord scored a power play goal little over two and a half minutes into the game, it's one nothing At that point, I think shots were 4 nothing Seattle. So the penalties were a problem, and I think Coop was a little incredulous post-game because he said, we just came out of this Edmonton game where we took too many penalties. So he was irked. He was irked after the first period. We heard Gabby talk with Derek Lalonde about it. Derek Lalonde was irked. And even after the game, I'm not sure that that Coop was over it. So I think that is going to be definitely a point of emphasis moving forward here to make sure their discipline is better to avoid taking the unnecessary penalties. Sometimes penalties are necessary. Die scoring chance or just penalties are going to happen. You're, you're going to have to kill some penalties. It's the ones that you can avoid that really kind of stick in the coach's craw. And I think last night was an example of that. The other part of the Lightning's game that I would say had some flaws, they did have some defensive breakdowns. Vasilevsky didn't face a lot of shots, but I think some of the shots that he faced were fairly dangerous. 
It was more so in the first 40 minutes than in the last 20. Seattle had some close calls, though. There were some goal-mouth scrambles. There was that play, which this was a play Vasilevsky didn't stop, but it hit Joseph and went off the post and the crossbar right before the end of the second period. That would have made it 2-2. But I think both of those areas were not as bad, and I don't want to start with the bad stuff, but I want to start with the bad stuff in part because the good stuff outweighed the bad stuff. So I want to get... The stuff the Lightning didn't like out of the way first. They talked about the penalties. I'm talking about some of the breakdowns. The Lightning took one penalty after the first period. So they improved in that regard. And while they did have some breakdowns, they were fairly infrequent and isolated. And I'm not sure the Lightning had any breakdowns in the third period once they went up 3-1, to which they did in the opening shift. So what was good about the Lightning's game? That was their best game forechecking on the road trip. They had a ton of possession. They had 70 shot attempts and held Seattle to 43. That's a pretty wide disparity. Their stars showed up in terms of production, and and not coincidentally, that was tied to the power play, popping in a couple of goals. I think the Lightning did have a shooting mentality, They finished with almost 40 shots on net. And they made big plays at key times. I thought the first three goals were all important. Kucherov's goal tied the game at one, so the Lightning never again trailed. The Hedman goal in the second period proved to be the game winner and gave the Lightning the lead. But I would make the argument, Greg, the biggest goal the Lightning scored last night was the Sorelli goal because – We talk about goals in the last minute of a period. Goals in the first minute of a period can be pretty deflating for the team that allows that goal and can energize the team that scores it. And the way they scored that goal, I mean, they came flying out of the gates to start the third. Braden Point found a gear that I'm not sure we've seen from him in recent games. And he really found that gear in the third period. Twice he just outraced guys to loose pucks on Seattle and he really set the table for that that goal mouse scramble Sorelli puts it in what 23 seconds into the third and and that felt like lights out for Seattle the way Seattle season has gone the way that the Kraken have kind of struggled to score they're kind of hanging in there it's 2-1 it's 2-1 it's 2-1 start of the third boom 3-1 and they didn't really have much pushback after that and the third period was the most lopsided of the three in terms of the lightning controlling play. So I would actually make the argument that Sorelli goal was maybe as impactful as the other two, as important as the other two were in helping the lightning come out of this game with a win. So they finished the road trip three and three, but as Coop was quick to point out, he's viewing this as an 11 game segment because the home game coming up Saturday is just one game. And then the team is going back out on the road So he said, really, we're halfway through this stretch. But from the standpoint of the six-game road trip, John Cooper always says, you want to come home with more points than games played. That was not going to happen when they lost the three in a row in regulation. But they salvaged the trip by winning the last two to at least get to 500 and come home three and three, six points in six games. But it was their best game. It was their best game on the trip, in my opinion. I mean, if, if you believe in momentum, if you believe that, and you can gain something by putting a few wins together, just like momentum the other way. If you have a couple of losses, it can it can carry over. I mean, the Lightning put two wins together, and you're, you're going home to take on a Rangers team. And we had talked about this the other day, Dave, that you've got the Rangers, Carolina, and Boston all yeah. coming up. Those are three pretty good teams. All are going to be in the playoffs. One of them, for sure, is a, a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, and I think the other two, Boston and the Rangers, are, are two teams that would make other other teams a little uncomfortable with what they can do to you in a seven-game series. So I, I we, we kind of hinted at this. Not that they would have a, a great performance against Seattle. I mean, honestly, that was a wild card for me. I, I, I didn't know what to expect. because Into the road trip, too. I mean, you yeah, never know it's, how it's going to go. I mean, the saving grace there, too, I think the Lightning have such a mature group that you thought they were going to put together a pretty decent outing. But 
Mish, you've been around long enough, and, and so have I. I mean, you have an expansion team like that, one who is struggling. I mean, human nature sometimes would suggest you're a bit sloppy, and maybe the first period was something like that, taking some penalties and allowing Seattle to get out to a one nothing lead. They corrected it pretty early, I thought. Their star power overcame some sluggish starts, as Chief likes to say. Hard work plus talent will beat hard work any day of the week. And I, I thought the Lightning, for the most part, did that last night. But I, I think we hinted at this uh, this week and the previous week, I think when you were looking at the schedule, there was an opportunity for the Lightning to elevate their play because the comp- competition was going to get better. And I think that's human nature. So that, I think this has the makings of being a, a decent stretch. I will say this briefly when you take a look at the schedule. I know every team goes through it, and I know John Cooper talked about this the other day as well. Dave, that's a, that's a brutal schedule. I mean, that's an awful schedule. And I look, I understand February. They didn't play a ton. Mm-hmm. You're on the road for six games. The travel involved in that, the different time zones. You come back for one game, and then you're back on the road for four? Yeah. Does that make any sense? I mean, I, it, that could be the Boston Bruins. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't be talking about it as much. Or the Detroit Red Wings. I, I just I don't understand, and I understand. They make these things in advance, and, and look, there was some shuffling here and there. But for the most part, this was set in stone. How do you come up with a schedule like that? How? Well, the Lightning had to be away during the SEC basketball tournament. But as my wife pointed out, when I told her the tournament was over on Sunday, she said they're still on the road for like three more days after the tournament was over. Not that they were going to play three in a row and play Seattle on Monday and come straight home. I don't know about the back end. I confess I I haven't looked at the Amelie Arena schedule to see what's coming into the building next week. But... You're right. I mean, it was part of the schedule from the get-go. It's not like these games were added after the fact. And when we talked about John Cooper's displeasure, is that the right word? It probably is the right word. Displeasure with the schedule in February. I think when we talked about it yesterday, his preference would have been one of two routes. Either have the three games to make up, but have them bunched together either at the beginning or the end. So his team got basically a two-week break. They didn't get that. They got a little over a week and then three games and then, again, a little over a week. Or fill it up more and take games from later in the schedule. So this 31-game-in-60-day gauntlet the Lightning have to deal with once we turn the calendar to March, would be alleviated a little bit. I understand why the league didn't do that or couldn't do that because they had so many other games that they had to fit in for teams that had to make up games. But I think Coop would have been okay if they would have plucked some games. Maybe not the Western trip that they just finished, but maybe there's a way to, in his mind to take one of these four road games coming up well, that's and, what I and mean. Throw that into February. Could they have taken one of those or two of those and I don't put know. that in I February? Mean, clearly, I mean, clearly, they didn't really do that for other teams <laughs> yeah, taking know, games later in the in the season and move them into February. To the best of my knowledge, they didn't yeah. do that. And that's fine. Look, I'm not. You're not going to hear me complain too much about the schedule. To me, it just stood out how I don't like. You want to talk about in some ways protecting the players on the ice and how stressful. Things have been the last two years with players playing in a bubble or just being away from family for an extended period of time. I know I'm getting into the weeds a little bit here, but to me, that schedule, I don't want to use the word cruel. I don't know if that does is in the best interest of the players, which are your greatest assets, to do something like that. And that's all I'm saying. We can drop it from there. Yeah, I, just, I, I will found say, it odd. I will say this, though, Greg. It wasn't as long, but the Lightning had a similar kind of schedule quirk earlier this year where they played seven of eight on the road Mm -hmm. now that one was more backloaded than front-loaded where they played at minnesota at st louis which again is a different time zone but you're not going all the way to the pacific time zone came home for one against st louis and then went out for a five-game road trip that was early december when they so it was late november into early december and they played Boston, Philly, back-to-back, and then the three Eastern Canadian teams. So in terms of the distance traveled, it wasn't as far. In terms of the length of the games in the stretch, it wasn't as many. But it was similar. 
it was basically like I think I wrote about it at the time. Whatever you're whatever you're looking at there, eight games in eight different cities. This is eleven games in eleven different cities. Look, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna feel sorry for millionaires who travel via no. charter. I, I get that. I'm just just look at some of the road trips the teams in the West have. No doubt. And no they doubt. go through this you're right. frequently. You're right. I don't know if they go through like, let's go out on a trip, come home, play one, and then leave again. I'm not sure if they have that a lot. It tends to be long road trips and longer homestands. But Look, the schedule is what it is. The Lightning will get through it. And then on the other side of this four-game trip, the Lightning do play 12 of their final 17 at home. Was there anything else specifically you wanted to hit on the game? Because I, I, yes. if we're not, okay, let's get yes. to that. And then we're going to get to, I have we have some questions about line combinations, trade deadline that maybe I want to do on the other side of the break. But I okay. want to get into specifically some of the other things that you had in that game last night. Well, the one thing that jumped out was Victor Hedman shooting the puck on the power play. Now, the power play had gone 0 for 14 on the road trip, and then they went 0 for 2 to start the game last night. But we've seen Victor Hedman look to shoot more. I think even 5-on-5 last night before the Lightning started scoring power play goals, he was looking to shoot. And we have talked about the Lightning defensemen having more of a shooting mentality. It hasn't always translated in some of these games, particularly in the games where the Lightning haven't had the puck as much. But if Victor Hedman is going to have an aggressive shooting mentality in the power play, that could open up some other opportunities for Kucherov and Stamkos. And... Both Stamkos and Coop talked about it post-game. How Hedman's shooting the puck on the power play could have benefits beyond him shooting the puck, which, look, he did win the hardest shot competition at All-Star Weekend. So he can shoot the puck, and he drilled those two shots last night. But whether he scores or not, if he scores, great. If he gets the shot through... Maybe it's a save and a scramble play in front. But even if it's not a goal, either on the shot or the rebound, it's going to keep the penalty killers honest about worrying about that shot. We'll see if that continues and and see what that does for the power play. I think it's safe to say, Greg, while the Lightning may not get as many power play opportunities in the playoffs, something you have talked about a lot, if their power play can find the level that we really saw in the playoffs last year, it really helped them in a number of the series, to be honest with you. Maybe up until the Stanley Cup final, they didn't need the power play as much, and Montreal yes, did yes. a pretty good job after game one of of quieting that power play. But goodness, the power play was just scorching hot earlier in the playoffs. If they can find that level again, that would be a real feather in their cap. And, and an additional weapon in their arsenal to help them when the playoffs begin. And I think Victor Hedman having a shooting mentality in the power play could help in that regard. Well, I think you bring up a really good point because he does have a bomb. I mean, I don't I don't think I realized how hard of a shot he had until I, I really a couple of years ago. I mean, he does have just that is a weapon. The problem is sometimes it's not just him. It's hard to get those on net because of how many guys block the shots. I mean, yeah. it's you want to see those things get through or you miss the net because you're trying to be fine. But, partner, I mean, that's the thing about Hedman. Because if if teams theoretically looked at the Lightning's power play and they start cheating to Kucherov's side and they don't want him passing or even with the one-timer and they want to try and isolate him, one of the ways I would think you can beat that, and there are many, is to have Victor Hedman just fire away from the point. And the benefit of that is not only is there a chance he can score, obviously. His shot is so powerful, you're probably getting a rebound. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, the goaltender may have some issues seeing the puck to begin with, but I don't know if there are many goaltenders who are going to be able to cleanly corral a puck from Victor Hedman from the point. I mean, if he's he's blasting that thing 100 miles per hour, which I think on his first goal I saw on TV, they clocked it at 94. Yeah, I saw that too. Um, which was pretty cool, whatever. That's a, that's a bomb. And now you start getting some people in front of the goaltender to distract him. 
maybe there's a bigger chance for a rebound, and then that may open up a guy like Kucherov. The, the point is, the Lightning have a lot of weapons on the power play, partner. I actually think Victor Hedman shooting from the point is one they probably don't take enough, I don't want to say credit for, they don't take advantage of more than they should because maybe they've had so much success with Kucherov shooting or passing with that cross-ice pass. But that might be something, you know, teams go ahead, try and prepare for the Tampa Bay Lightning. If Victor Hedman's going to be a threat from that, and I'll throw in Mikhail Sergachev too when he gets an opportunity to, to bomb it away. Now the Lightning on that power play really become a three-headed monster, at least around the perimeter. That's a very difficult matchup, but it's either going in or there's a rebound. I actually yeah. think those are Hedy's two best options. I, I don't mind him passing and setting up Stamkos. I think he does that well. But if you're asking me to kind of rank what Hedman does well on the power play, it is shoot really hard, um, you know, and skate it in with his size and his speed. And then, you know, I think his passing is good, but I think that shot is just excellent, is dynamite. So as a lefty, it's easier for Hedman to one-time the puck for a shot when the pass is coming from Stamp goes inside. In fact, that's how he scored. I mean, yeah, he scored point. both of his goals last night off Stamkos passes. The the one that in the second period goal was off an, a zone entry, so he was actually right at the left point. He wasn't in his usual spot. But at the third period goal, I think, is the one that I want to talk about where Stamkos gives him the puck, and he was he was inside the blue line by a fair amount there so I, I can't remember if he had stepped in and one time the puck or he got it and took a stride and shot it in I think it was a one-timer but where this can help now he can pass the puck to stamp goes to almost as like a one touch when it's coming from Kucherov if Kucherov gets it to him where he can do a forehand he can basically guide it but it's harder when the puck is coming across your body to shoot it it's also harder to pass it. Hedman's such a good passer that he can do that and, and set up Stamp Ghost and get it in Stamp Ghost's wheelhouse. But my point is that if Hedman were to have the shot as an option like we've been talking about, and, and let's just say like he shoots the puck, but look to shoot more, that pass from Stamp Ghost is going to force the penalty killers to worry about getting in the middle of the ice to try and block a shot. Now, there are two forwards up high. One of them is going to have that responsibility, and you figure it's the one that's leaning over to Kucherov's side because the other forward has to worry about Stamkos if Stamkos is starting the sequence with the puck. So Hedman can shoot, and maybe good things happen, but if he sees that that penalty killer is drifting toward the middle, that opens up the pass to Kucherov, and because he can one-time the shot, he can also one-time the pass. So if it's coming from Stamkos, he can, like, wind up, but he can basically one-time a pass to Kucherov, and now Kucherov has room because that penalty killer has drifted away from him. And now the defenseman has to come out potentially to challenge Kucherov. It's almost like the dominoes start to fall, right? You get the penalty kill unit moving a little bit, and things open up. Kucherov can shoot, or maybe he, he one-times the puck to point who's in that bumper spot. So that's how, like, Hedman shooting the puck can create additional problems for the penalty kill unit. Before we break, I do want to – I was tell, talking to Steve about this before we came on the air, and we had a good laugh about it. But I do want to share one story that I didn't even realize I did this until I was driving home after the game. I was listening to your post game, Greg, and then when the post game ended on lighting power play, we, we played the game back. So we, we started the game again. And – I think we did a pretty good job of covering up some issues that we had. We had some issues last night. It was really the first time on this road trip that we had issues. We had some issues last night. We had some issues with what was going on in Seattle as far as our feed. The game was on TNT. We have two monitors in our studio. One of them is basically like just a feed from the arena. The other is the actual television feed. And because we had it on TNT... And it was a double header, and it was the second game of the double header. The game that preceded the Lightning Kraken game on TNT, as fans may know if they tuned in to watch the game, was Boston and Minnesota. The Boston Minnesota game ran long. So that game was not over 
before the Lightning Kraken game began, even with the Giordano pregame ceremony. So when when the Lightning game started, we only had one monitor, and it was it was a monitor that was a, a farther camera shot basically like everyone was smaller on the screen so chief and i are doing our best to call it off the one monitor and of course we have the early penalties and the lightning all this is going on while the boston minnesota game is still on and wrapping up so when i'm listening back to the broadcast i'm like how did this sound and actually it sounded okay in terms of like the effects and everything else but that early power play Jared McCann takes a shot. Vasilevsky makes the save. And at the time, I said, Jared McCann has 23 goals this year. That's a career high. Career high for the Wild. I'm like, did I just say the Wild? Then the power play continues, and the Lightning get the puck down the ice. And I said, the puck is in the Minnesota defensive zone. I'm like, what the heck was I saying? And did it I have occurred a, to me. Did I have uh, an issue? <laughs> it's like, what happened? I'm like, did I black out? <laughs> yeah, like, were, were the circuits not working in the old noggin? Yeah. And what occurred to me was I had one eye on the Minnesota-Boston game because it was wrapping up. I'm waiting for the picture to come up on the screen that's in front of me. Oh, that was it. Gotcha. And so it's funny. Like, I didn't even know I said it. And yeah. I didn't really see anything about people <laughs> noticing it, which is either people are really being generous to me or nobody is listening to the broadcast at all, which I don't know which of those situations it is. But I was I was like dumbfounded that I said, did I say the Minnesota Wild a second time? You know what? There was, the Lightning were taking on two different teams. Playing the Minnesota Wild. I'm like, oh, that game was on. Yeah. And I'm trying to do like four things at once. I'm trying to call the game, identify players, track the power play. Also, we didn't have any scoreboard on the screen in the early part of the game. I had no idea how much time was left on the power play, what the time was in the game. I'm watching this Boston-Minnesota game. It's wrapping up. They're showing now, Was that wild, because of like, Seattle's feed? That's all because of Seattle's feed? Well, it wasn't Seattle's feed. I think okay. it was uh, – Steve can talk about what that other feed was. But even when we got the game on TNT, it's TNT's they didn't have feed. the Fox box yeah, up. It's TNT's gotcha. feed. It was supposed to have the box on it. It didn't. It was a clean feed instead, which in the business means the video without all the graphics. But, but Steve, even when we that. got the game yeah. on the TNT feed, they didn't have it on. Yeah, they, they the had beginning. I think TNT had some issues last night, too. So. Yeah. So all of that, gotcha, gotcha. it, one, wasn't, it point, wasn't just me saying the Minnesota Wild, but that's me on the air today talking about that was my mistake. <laughs> and I'm like, that was a pretty significant mistake. But thinking back on it, I'm like, okay, the brain does funny things, like how we, we yeah. mix things up. And I didn't even know I said it at the time. You know what? I don't. I don't. I don't know if anybody really. I, I don't want to say nobody was listening because I think they do. From the f just, I think we get a lot of people that comment, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook, that they love listening to the broadcast. I think people just listening, and then it doesn't dawn on them. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you know may what be I mean. Right. I think that, I think that might be some of it. But when but, we talk about the challenges yeah. of calling games off a monitor in a studio, I think last night was. Maybe not a perfect storm, but there were a lot of things that, like, the screws were coming a little loose, and we had to tighten them up as best we could to to get through that broadcast, which things got a little better as the game progressed, Look, I, both, both for us and for the Lightning. We've been doing this for, what, two two plus years now, just kind of having to improvise a little bit with just equipment and, and broadcasting games from the studio when they're away and, and trying to make things work. I think for the most part, they are, you know, for the most part, we've done a flawless job and that, that that's more credit to Steve and, and the technical side, you know, being able to pull that stuff off. Cause that, that can't be, that cannot be an easy thing to do when stuff like that happens. And then to correct the problem, you know, cause a lot of people panic sometimes in those scenarios um, I, I think our, our team has done a pretty good job of, of bringing those broadcasts to our audience, even with some of the hurdles I think a lot of people go um, when it comes to these broadcasts. So it's a, it's a good little, yeah. little tidbit, partner. Good little tidbit. And Well, uh, I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't been listening to Lightning Power Play. And well, you Steve always wouldn't have re-aired the broadcast. But, yes, in case there was any confusion, the Lightning did play the Seattle Kraken last night, not the Minnesota Wild, and they did win the game in Seattle. In Seattle. Yeah. Take the win.
All right, we'll take a break. We have some questions regarding line combinations and trades that maybe we'll get into the second half of the show. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Ersnick is our producer. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Partner, you might be able to answer this better than me, but Victor Hedman's averaging a point per game. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. happen often for defensemen. You know, John Carlson, I know a couple of years ago, had a pretty big season. We've seen Brent Burns, Carlson, yeah. those guys. Yossi. Yeah, but I, I mean, I feel like Hedy, I mean, he's healthy too, you know, which is a big deal. And I, I, don't, I don't know. Do you feel like when you look at his numbers throughout his career and then you see the point-per-game clip, which is the most he's had, the best average he's had through this point, does he? Does it feel like he's having, you know, maybe his best offensive season just with the eye test, or do you, off the top of your head, do you feel like there have been other seasons that maybe stick out for you? Because it it does feel yeah. like he's just gobbling up points here. Honestly, no. I mean, his his level of point production has been high, but it has been high in past years too. The year that sticks out for me the most for Hetty with points, I'm gonna go to his year by year here to to kind of so we're comparing apples to apples it was the year before he won the Norris trophy the 16-17 season and that as we've talked about often that was the year the lightning missed the playoffs but they came close to making the playoffs and one reason why Kucherov Hedman and Jonathan Druin were like an unstoppable force when the lightning had the power play going and that actually was the year that had been set a career high in points not in goals that was the next year he had 17 goals but in the 16-17 season he had 16 goals 72 points he had 56 assists and a lot of those assists came on the power play where Druin would feed Hedman who would feed Kucherov and Kucherov scored on a lot of one-timers on the power play they didn't have stamp goes for much of that year because he got hurt in November and missed the rest of the year. Cooch had 40 goals that year. So that was the year that, that really, I remember vividly how good the Lightning were on the power play with those three guys specifically. And that was one reason, it wasn't the only reason, but that was one reason why the Lightning were able to trade Drew into Montreal and get Sergachev. If Drew had a season where he had like 15 points instead of, 53 which is what he had that year maybe the lightning can't make that trade that's the year i remember though for hetty and and look he's yeah. on pace at this he's gonna point. get 20 goals well that and he's on pace at this point this year to eclipse that previous yeah he is career high or current career high of 72 points from that you know, season just for fun i told you sometimes i go down a rabbit hole with hockey reference I, I love that side. I, I like him for all the sports because you get a chance to look at some players that, you know, were on teams that you remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Also, too, if you're a big, you know, card collector that I am sometimes uh, on Twitter, I'll, I'll follow um, certain sites that'll post. Do you remember this player back in 1975? And you'll look him up and, you know, they had like three good years and you're like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, Paul Coffey. I think the one year, I don't want to say it was Pittsburgh. It might have been Edmund. 40 goals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, I know it's a different time. And he was, when you talk about offensive defensemen, I mean, next to Bobby Orr, is it fair to say Paul Coffey is is that next that next guy? How many guys played with Gretzky and Lemieux? I mean, there's probably more than Paul Coffey. That's a great question. played played like a long time yeah, it's a great and question. really... I don't want to say benefited because coffee did a lot of good things on his own. It's not like he yeah. was just putting tap ins in off off plays from those guys. But, but he, he, he was, was he was a really good complimentary player to uh, both of them for an extended period of time. Phil Bork tells the story, and we when we have him on again, we should ask him about it. Paul Scott Paul Coffee's skates were notoriously too small. Like I don't know what size feet he would wear, but it was like his skate size was like two sizes smaller, and he just preferred 
that's that's how he preferred his skates. And of course, as you know, Mish, he skated like the wind. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just a fantastic skater. But you know, you're back to by the way, because you just yeah. mentioned it. Here yeah. are the teams that Paul Coffey played for. So he came into the NHL in 1980 with Edmonton. So Gretzky was already there. 80 to 87 with the Oilers and Gretzky. 87 to 91-92 with Pittsburgh and Mario. So he was there for the first cup but got dealt to L.A. before they won the second cup. But then he went to L.A. and reunited with Gretzky, (laughs) 91-92, and then part of 92-93, then went to Detroit where he played with Iserman and company, (laughs) 92-96. to Did he go to Carolina? Was he with well, Carolina then he too? had, the yeah, so 96-97, Hartford and Philly, another year in Philly, and then late 90s, he was Chicago, Carolina, and then finished a final season, 18 games with Boston. But you think about the teams he played for, I mean, in 91-92, 92-93-LA, 92-93-LA, they got to the Stanley Cup final, but he was moved at the deadline, it looks like to Detroit so he didn't get to the Stanley Cup final with LA but they were a good team so basically let's say from <laughs> 1980 to 1996 he latched on to Wayne and, and Mario <laughs> yeah and then Iserman and company right. he was That's basically right. playing for three elite teams and maybe, you want to include the Kings there with Gretzky for basically yeah. a season two of the greatest maybe two the two greatest off Offensive players in the game. 48 goals in 85-86 for Edmonton, That's which incredible. was the one year That's the incredible. Oilers in a span of five did not win the Stanley Cup. Is that the year they lost to Calgary? Yeah. Yeah. He, was there, like, he was there for for three of the Cups. Did I feel like Burns had a 30-goal season. Yes. Over the last five or six. Or close I mean, to 30. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. But Hedy, I mean, look. 60 points in 60 games. He's got, what, 17 goals? I mean, he could – he might be able to hit 25. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a really big – that's a really big number. Marty McSorley, I think, played with Gretzky and, yeah. and Lemieux for a decent amount of his his time. But that's that's all I got on that. Let's get to some questions uh, at Bolts Radio if you want to chime in. You can. Bill says, guys – what did you make of the line combinations last night, specifically Stammer with Cooch? They look really good together. We know those two have chemistry. Would you be inclined to keep them together? Well, it wasn't the first game because Coop put them together for sure in the Vancouver game. I can't remember if they were put together during the Edmonton game because the Lightning were looking for a spark. Maybe they put maybe he did that. The games kind of run together yeah. a little bit, but it wasn't yeah. just last night. I think they were put together in the Vancouver game, and then Coop kept them together for last night's game. Look, sometimes it can be a little bit of a spark. Cooch and Stamkos have had a lot of chemistry together, not recently, due to injuries for both. Talking about five on five, they have a lot of chemistry in the power play. But you know, Cooch missed last year's regular season, and Stamkos was out for basically the the bubble playoff with the exception of that one game in the final. And, you know, for a time there, it was Cooch, Stamkos, and Point as the line. And, in fact, in 2018, when they acquired JT Miller, it was Stamkos, Kucherov, and Miller as a line. So Cooch and Stamkos have played together five on five, just not recently. But when they get reunited, it can be a little bit of a – a spark for the team and for those players, I think. But Coop is not always going to keep a line together through hell or high water. If he feels he needs to make a change, he is not hesitant about pulling the trigger. So we may see Point and Kucherov reunited at some point. Bill, I appreciate that. My guess is that kind of going back to the, the question on a macro level with some guys who might be struggling and maybe people feel you're more inclined to either switch up the lines or even go as far as trading some veterans on this team, which I've seen some people do because, you know, a guy like Pilat might be struggling a bit. I think first playoff game, whoever they play, I think you're going to see the line combinations the way they've basically been the last couple of years. And if John Cooper has to adjust in game partner, 
I think that's what he'll do. But I don't think Palat's coming off the first line to start the first playoff game. That's my hunch, but I could be wrong. You know, Another interesting development, and the fan didn't ask about this, but we've seen that the last few games, Bogosian with McDonough, Sergachev with Chernak. Yeah. And I think once the Lightning got Bogosian back and went to 6D, so there was one game, I think, where they played 7D. Once they went back to 6D, I think that's been fairly consistent. Not every shift. I remember seeing McDonough and Chernak back together on a shift in the third period last night, but... Most of the time, I think that's been what the defense pairings have looked like. Yeah, I was going to say. Ruta back with Hedman more regularly. I was going to say, do you think that's going to be something, too? We just, it's going to be a feel once the playoffs begin. You know, I I, I can't help but when Rob Zettler came on our show and they're just looking for ways to get Sergachev on the ice, partner. And I, I feel like. What better way to get your best players on the ice more than the playoffs? And if, if we end up looking at the box score after, you know, game one, game two, game three, whatever, and we see that the top four defensemen on this team are averaging over 20 minutes a game, and then guys like Ruta, Bogosian, or Foot are in that 12-minute mark, we probably shouldn't be too surprised. And maybe that's how it averages out anyways, but we, we probably shouldn't be too surprised, specifically this year, with how they have talked about, I think, specifically, too, Sergachev taking those steps in his game and trying to get him some, some more ice time. So it's it's something to keep an eye on. Doug says, should we read into anything regarding Foot and Radish being scratched last night so close to the trade deadline? Well, I don't know if one is related to the other. I think the Lightning are looking at their 6D. And maybe Bogosian being in. Basically, what, what the fan is asking is, Bogosian has taken foot spot, and if the Lightning are not dressing 7D and they're dressing 6, Bogosian is getting the opportunity to play ahead of foot as it stands right now. But Bogosian missed basically two months, and they need to get him game action. And I think while they are putting him in, they are looking at this new setup of the, the pairings. So foot just has to sit right now. Radish has rarely been a scratch. I mean, he missed some games due to COVID. But I think if you look at his game by game as it compares to Kachuk, Kachuk has had to sit way more than Radish has when they've had the extra forward. But similar to to Radish, or similar to, to Bogosian, not that Kachuk was injured, he had the, the COVID issue where he couldn't make the trip to Canada. But he has not played a lot. He was the extra forward for much of February. In fact, I think he played February 1st, and they didn't play again until he got into the lineup against Detroit before the road trip. And then he tested positive for COVID. So I think they want to get him in. And if you're getting him in, somebody has to sit. We'll see what happens, though, on Saturday, so, if, if they're going to keep the lineup the same. So I, I talked about this on... It was the second intermission report. Speaking of technical difficulties, we were having problems getting Joe Smith on for the first intermission report, but I had him on the second. And I asked him because as I was with Joe talking about what we were discussing, Elliot Friedman came out with his 32 thoughts column. And I happened to read it because I always enjoy what Elliot has to say, especially this time of year. And I'll go to the article once we we get to this question to specifically look at, at what Elliot had said. But it does look like the Lightning are in on Tyler Mott, Dave, from Vancouver. I think mm-hmm. Smith, Joe talked about this as well in his athletic article. It might have been a couple of days ago in a mailbag segment or, or something else. And I, I kind of teased this earlier in the week. Probably people don't care, but I was like, look, I, as we get a little closer, maybe I'll give you a name who I think would be a guy that the Lightning may be able to dangle. I, I think Cal Foot would be that guy. And it's, it's not necessarily what he hasn't done. But I think the Lightning, we discussed this on the show yesterday. My hunch is, based off of just where they are and some of the younger guys they have up front in the bottom six, another veteran forward, preferably who can win faceoffs, might be where I would go if I was Tampa Bay. And maybe they don't want to give up draft picks. 
But I, I think it's pretty clear to me that when they're healthy, Bogosian might be that guy that's going to be in the top six once the playoffs begin. That That's my hunch. I, I could be absolutely wrong, and I'll come on the air and admit that when that when that does happen, if it does. I think Foote's taken enough steps where another team is very intrigued by him. But I, as I said before, and I think we've discussed this, I don't. the Lightning are in such a good position with their top four defensemen that I think it's going to be tough for a player like Foote to consistently crack this lineup the way maybe he would want to because he's a first-round pick, and eventually I think he's going to want to find a bigger role. I'm not saying he's complaining at all. This is just me putting something together and, and throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. I think Foote would be the guy, if the Lightning were going to trade somebody, it would be him to get that asset back in return. If not, that's fine. They're comfortable with who they have, and obviously they're comfortable with Foot. It's probably more of a compliment to Cal Foot because I think he has taken the, the steps in becoming, if not an NHL regular this year day, very close to it. And I think other teams would at least listen to the Lightning in that package if the Lightning were trying to get somebody else from that team. What is a little confusing to me about Tyler Mott being a potential trade target, whether it's the Lightning or anybody else, is that Vancouver is now in a position to get into the playoffs to the point that I think in that same 32 thoughts column, so you Elliot did read it, reference JT Miller is, is probably going to yeah, yeah. stay, right? Yeah, Which yeah. I think it makes sense for them to keep JT Miller. <laughs> I don't know why, unless it was a money consideration or a concern that they wouldn't be able to keep him. I'm trying to remember. So he had a five-year deal. The Lightning he signed a year him left to. After this year? I think he has a year left after this year. Yeah, I think he, he does too. Yeah, he yeah. was one year in, and the Lightning moved him in 2019. So, yeah, he's got another year left. So why well, you know would they, they were move saying. him? But be that as it may, did you see what hurt? Did you see what Hurdle got though? I understand that, and I so, think that's the thinking. I think that was the thing. But I think that whatever whatever your your organizational plan is, J T. Miller has proven that he should be a part of that plan. I mean, yes. the guy's the longest point streak in the <laughs> league this year. I would agree. I would agree with you. So I would keep him anyway. Yeah. If Vancouver is saying we're keeping JT Miller either because we just really like him as a player, it doesn't make sense to trade him, we feel we're going to get into the playoffs, whatever, they are close enough to the playoffs that I don't know why if they feel they are going to make a run for this, why Tyler Mott would be the one guy. Like if they are going to say we want to try and get into the playoffs, I think you would want to keep Tyler Mott. And if you feel that you're not going to get into the playoffs and you want to sell, which I don't know why they would think that because they're on a nice little streak here, even with their loss to the Lightning, and they're certainly within striking distance of getting into the playoffs. With everything that comes with getting into the playoffs, as you have talked about, Greg, the revenue from even if you get only two home playoff games, that's a significant flush of money (laughs) that you wouldn't be getting if you missed the playoffs. But... Yeah, especially in Canada. Exactly. You know what I mean? So let's say you feel that, all right, maybe we make the playoffs, but we're not going to go deep. I don't know why they would think that we're going to sell. Why would Tyler Mott be the only guy? I guess I just don't really understand what Vancouver's motivation would be to trade a guy that would be coveted by other teams looking to kind of supplement their roster or augment their their playoff roster like why would vancouver say this is the one guy we're looking to trade even though he might help us as we try and get into the playoffs i'm wondering i'm wondering because i everything you just like i actually think jt miller's captain material at this point from everything you read from vancouver coming out there i mean he is and he's still young enough i mean he's not 30 yet i think he's entering the prime of his career he's probably right in the middle of it and he's proven to be a tremendous point producer. Really, everywhere he's been, but specifically with Vancouver, he's the guy you build around, not trade. I'm wondering if this is financial. That maybe well, some yeah, teams maybe are just in a bigger... Mott's on an, an expiring contract, but I don't know why you wouldn't just want to keep him if you're Vancouver. Well, why wouldn't you want to keep... Let me ask you this, though. And I, I don't know Vancouver's situation. I know Jim Rutherford's a gym, general manager that likes to shake things up, and I think he was brought in there to do that, to be honest with you. But... The, the guys they're talking about trading, they're young players. Like, Besser. Why would you trade him? Yeah. 
I mean, I, I guess I, I'll see. We'll see what they do at the deadline. But Elliot's calm, I think, said kind of like Mott's the one guy that Vancouver might look at dealing. Yeah. I'm like, why him? Why? Why is he the one guy? Either they're gonna sell, or they're not. Yeah. And if they're not gonna sell, why would Mott's name be? be popping up there as opposed to let's say some of these other depth forwards like Lekkinen with Montreal that makes sense yeah Nick Paul with Ottawa that makes sense Yarn Croak who just got moved from Seattle that makes sense Vancouver's in that kind of gray area and they've done well enough in recent weeks yeah that they are now certainly a viable playoff listen contender by by that I mean they could get into the playoffs I know, what is it, Daryl Sutter said it the other day, that basically if you end up being the wildcard team and you have to take on <laughs> yes, Colorado, those are going to be a short eight days. But you know what, though, to, to what we were talking about with Brian, I think that gate revenue is more impactful than being swept in the, in the first round and fizzling out and then figuring out what your roster is going to be after that. I, I think teams are in such some dire financial stress. That makes the most sense. And I have to be very frank with you. Dave, once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. Why are you and not saying he is? I mean, he's a smart guy. He's been around. What has Colorado won? What have they won the last three or four years? I, they look good on paper. They yeah. have a really good team. But Dave, we've seen a lot of really good teams. <laughs> Tampa Bay Lightning three years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, being a really good team does not on. guarantee any playoff no, success. Please get into the play. I mean, if there's one sport, just get in. It's the NHL. So I think I think if the Canucks, just to, to circle back and, and put a bow on this, if the Canucks decide to start trading some people, clearly they looked at it and said, we don't think, A, we can make the playoffs or a legitimate playoff team and can make a run. So we are going to trade some assets and restock and rebuild. Then it would make sense that they would be potentially open to moving Mott, but the way that that – column read it almost sounded like vancouver is is going to make a, a run for it here but mott might be available and maybe yeah. i didn't understand how elliot's column was was framed and maybe maybe he didn't mean it that way but that's kind he of he did the way say he wrote it late it. at night so put a lot of yeah. words together <laughs> now just in case you're you're wondering because you've talked about yeah. face-offs mott yeah, is yeah. a center but he has hardly taken any face-offs so he would not wing, be a guy basically. if the lightning were to get him they can make that trade. He would not be a guy they would rely on. Let's put it this to way. win faceoffs. I think if they get a player like that, another player, and you would say, "Well, Greg, obviously, dollar in, dollar out." Another player from the roster is leaving. Yeah, and it's probably going to be one of the younger players. That's my take on it, and I, I can leave it at that. Mott's a sandpaper type of guy, high energy. I mean, in case the fans don't really remember who he is, if you watch the game the Lightning yeah. just had in Vancouver, he was the one that was high-sticked by Ruda. Right. When Ruda followed through playing the puck and the Canucks were upset Good that memory. there was no penalty called. Good memory. Um, let's get to one more question before we sign off. This one comes from Stu. He wants to know, what did you make of the Panthers' moves yesterday? Is Sherratt a big upgrade on their back end? So Sherratt's a good player. I confess, like, I know the Panthers have been winning like crazy and, and just looking at their stats, like they are scoring more. They are they are a higher-ranked team in terms of scoring their number one in the league than they are as far as their team defense numbers. But they are defending okay, and Sherratt's a good player. I mean, Sherratt, we, when we had Dennis Bayak on, that was the one guy that Dennis mentioned – about Winnipeg, that had they known Bufflin was going to be retiring, they would have kept Ben Sherrod. <laughs> they felt that they had to move Ben Sherrod because they wouldn't have been able to keep him financially. So he goes to Montreal. He's been a good player for Montreal. He was paired with Weber during their playoff run last year. And I think that he will help the Panthers. Did they need that much of an upgrade? I can't speak to that. Obviously, Bill Zito felt that he would be a really good fit. I like the pickup that Florida made with with adding Sherrod, they, they gave up a substantial amount. I mean, they gave up a first-round pick in addition to a prospect. I think there was another draft pick in there. They also moved Frank Vetrano, and part of that was to free up some money potentially in case they're going to make another swing here at the deadline. 
The other part of that was Vetrano is on an expiring contract and the Panthers are going to be in a cap crunch next year. So they may have looked at it and said, we're not going to be able to keep Vetrano. We're going to try and make some moves here to to help our team for the playoffs, including Sherratt, but maybe a forward as well. Who knows? Or we feel we have enough scoring at forward. We like our forward group, yeah. even without Vetrano. So let's get an asset for Vetrano, which they did. But I like Vetrano. So I like that move. For the Rangers. I understand the move for the yeah. Panthers. I understand why they did it. But I like the pickup for the Rangers, who have a lot of cap space, as we have talked about. So that's a good move for both teams. And maybe, in part, the Panthers moving Vetrano helped them acquire Sherratt and potentially somebody else. I so I like this. those moves. And I like the Yarncroke pickup for Calgary. Yeah. I think the moves that have been made this year make a lot of sense. Yes. And they help the teams that have acquired the players and the, the teams that have moved those players They've gotten a fair amount in return based on who they're trading. Let me say this. I actually think it's a really good pickup for the Rangers. And we've talked about they're a team with some cap space. So I don't think they're done. But we'll see how that plays out, and, and we'll have more on this tomorrow. The, the initial return for Sherratt seems like a lot. Because and Montreal, he's on an expiring contract. Think they about are that. not going to unless something weird happens. They move out a bunch of money. He's a rental. So, Ma, but here's Montreal gets a first round pick in 2023, a fourth round pick in 2022, and an unsigned prospect. I have to be honest with you. I think they kept 50 percent of the salary, which is why the price went. They up. did, they did. But if you're a team. That's Florida, Carolina, Tampa Bay. If you're a team that has a first-round pick, I wouldn't hesitate to dangle that out there. Yeah. Because well, Florida now has traded its first-round pick in this upcoming draft that was last year, and this first-round pick is for, is for next year. But I, I think... Those prospects, once you get past the top 10, particularly where Florida and Tampa Bay, yeah. Carolina, these teams are going to be dry. I would because you hear a lot about that. Some teams are hesitant to give up their first round pick, and that's going to be the asking price. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lightning make a move. And we saw this with Goodrow, Coleman. And those guys are accomplished players. Goodrow, I mean, was, you know, fourth liner. You may have to give up a first-round pick for somebody like that, even if it's a rental. What I'm telling you is, partner, I think if your team's like the Panthers, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh's done this for a while, Washington, I'm sure, will do it, has done it, Chicago, I, I think you dangle that out there, and I wouldn't be hesitant to move a first-round pick. Here's a question for you. I know we're, we're needing to wrap this up, and we can continue this conversation tomorrow as we get closer to the trade deadline. The sort of player that would require a first-round pick. Do you really think the Lightning can make the money work on a player like that? I mean, if we're talking about, for the sake of argument, Tyler Mott or Nick Paul or Lekkinen, I mean, I don't think those players would command a first-round pick. The sort of player that would command a first-round pick, like a Ben Sherratt, I'm not sure the Lightning can make the money work. What did the Lightning give up like for that. Goodrow? Well, it was a first round pick. Do you think he is a first round? I mean, like Goodrow was in a in a unique situation sure. because he was on a contract that was he was vastly underpaid oh, based oh, on I, the value of his contract. Wholeheartedly. And he but wasn't I, a rental. Know, he he had another year and left he wasn't on his a deal. And you're right. Good but points, I, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't necessarily even with all of that being said, I I, I don't know if I'd give a I mean you're giving you're getting a first round pick for a guy who is a fourth liner. I mean, that's... Well, that's what I'm saying. I think Julian Breezebaugh has shown he is not hesitant to trade a first-round pick. Yes, yes. I just don't know if, given the dollars-in, dollars-out scenario, the line you're in, if they can bring in that's... a name significant enough to command a first-round pick. So that, that's why I said. I think Maybe your first-round pick, well, first pick and a, and a prospect, probably. I think that's what we're looking at. I think that's going to be the going rate. To for get to who? the table for whoever they want to bring in to start. 
<laughs> it could, it could be a third or fourth liner, Dave. That's a rental. I would be surprised if they get a if they acquire a fourth line forward and it's going to cost them a first round pick. Okay. You might be right, but you I might guess be one right. of us will be proven. We'll, we'll right talk or about wrong it on Monday. Or, <laughs> or what is it? Uh, pass like we pass on this because we'll the Lightning didn't make a move, yeah. and yeah. we'll find out. We'll find out whatever route they take. We'll be all over it on Monday, on Monday. And, we'll, yeah. and we'll be all over it tomorrow, breaking it all down. And and uh, this was a lively show. Keep those questions coming in. We appreciate that. Upbolts Radio. Partner, we'll do it again tomorrow, noon to one. Yeah, talk to you tomorrow. You got it. Thanks to Steve Ersnick as well. And thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate that. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.